Overflow Beyond the Music is a podcast hosted by musician and pastor Josh McCabe and takes a deep dive into the life of artists, into topics of faith, family, and seasons of struggle. This podcast is presented by Overflow Ministries Group. For more information about Overflow Ministries Group, visit overflowgroup.org. And for more information about our host, his music project Caves, and much more, visit overflowbtm.com. Now here's our host, Josh McCabe, with today's episode. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back, Overflow Beyond the Music. Josh McCabe here. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for hanging out. Hope wherever you are at, you are keeping safe and healthy and encouraged because right now it's some discouraging seasons. That is that's for sure. But hey, wherever you're at, uh, wherever you are, I'm glad that you're with me on this podcast episode. We have another repeat guest uh, coming back to us. His name's John Mark McMillan, and we had him on the podcast oh maybe a year or two ago. And uh, he's just a great guy to talk to. He's got a, a lot of insight and just <laughs> issues far beyond music. And that's, I guess, the title of the podcast, Beyond the Music. And uh, we just had a great conversation. It's a long one. And uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, there was a few moments where I'm like, darn, I got to like clip this and quote this because that's just really good wisdom and really good insight. And, and he, his music is the same way. His lyrics, the way he approaches music, the way he bears his soul uh, lyrically in music is is exactly uh, the same way he is just willing to bear his soul and have a real conversation uh, on a podcast. So you're really going to enjoy this. And during the episode, we talk a little bit about some of the merch that he has out from his stable sessions. And uh, we're going to find a way to get that to you in a giveaway. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to make sure that you're following us on social media. We'll post all the details right there for how you can get uh, part of the giveaway for this merchandise. I think we're going to try and do some signed vinyls. So make sure that you follow us at OverflowBTM on Instagram, at OverflowBTM on Twitter, and on Facebook. That is where we will post the links for you to get involved uh, on this little contest to get some free signed merchandise, which is awesome from John Mark McMillan. But without any further delay, let's head on into my conversation. This is John Mark McMillan here on Overflow Beyond the Music. Living in the borderland. I don't feel like a boy, I don't feel like a man. In the things I don't understand. Uh, well, man, it's good to, good to catch up with you. Good to see your face. Good to see you all nestled in your little... Little studio room there, and uh, I assume you're coming to me from North Carolina. Is that correct? Yes, totally correct. What What's going on in North Carolina right now um, that is slightly different than Canada? Mm, where I'm at, it's probably not as cold. Um, but as far as I know, that's probably it. There's not much going on here. Um, people are. You know, kind of going back to work. The schools are like half open, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything going on. Christmas is happening, but I guess that's happening near you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going to they're gonna let that happen. Um, Christmas happen. Yeah, which is such a strange, strange thing to me. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just interesting because, 
not only do you interact with different people at work or at church that have like two different ways of approaching things, you have yeah. two sides of a family that approach things a different way. And yeah. that's always fun to navigate, right? <laughs> always. <laughs> so you were telling me earlier, though, this is we got on the phone, that you're, you've got like some kids at home or some part-time and some distance learning. And, yep. And what, like, is there a little more chaos in the house than normal? A lot more chaos. So um, two of my three kids just went back to school, but they only go two days a week now. Okay. Um, and then my oldest he's still totally remote so and he has been going to a learning pod but they haven't had the learning pod the last couple of weeks i think they have a learning pod learning pods where the few kids get together and learn together so they do their remote classes just in the same room and between breaks they um or on their breaks they play ping pong and listen to music and it's been real important for my oldest because he just started middle school so his first year of middle school, he's um, you know not even uh, able to meet any new kids. He um, you know uh, it's it's just that time of life for him where I just kept going. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. If anyone's listening right now and wondering why we're laughing, it's because I coughed in my shoulder and hit the hang up button <laughs> on my phone. And um, John Mark just kept talking, which true pro, just keep going. When the yeah. monitors are out, you just keep going. <laughs> you just keep going. But I'll finish that thought. But yeah, my oldest, yeah, yeah. he's highly social and it was supposed to be his first year of middle school. Right. We moved to a new neighborhood. It's a new school. And so to have a whole year with sort of no friends and no social interaction has been really hard on him. So the learning pod has been uh, saving grace for him. Uh but yeah, that's where we're at. So life is super um, chaotic, and I, I feel like I should be getting more done. But it's just hard to be creative when the whole family is at home together. There's just not that headspace. So I've been writing some music late at night and waiting for the world to uh, pick up again. You know, waiting on a world to change, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah. I was kind of, I've asked everyone this podcast recently because during the pandemic, I thought, man, I've got all these half done songs. I'm going to finish. This is going to yeah, be yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like, it's going to be great. And of course, I still have a bunch of half done songs that need to be finished, but I've learned, uh, I've learned tricks on mixing and taking, you know, online church services that sound terrible and helping them sound a lot better. <laughs> I kind of learned that skill and started helping my dad church out and then kind of became a thing for me but what's uh what's an unlikely skill that or hobby or task that you've picked up during the slowness of the last however many months well i have two one of them is video i've had a nice camera for a long time and never known how to use it i started filming my own videos early on and i had to learn how to edit them and it was taking forever at first but I just kind of had a crash course in video editing. I even made a couple of my own lyric videos and things that I posted. Some of them were pretty well received. So that was fun learning that. The other thing that I, I learned is I built my kids a, I'm not sure what to call it. I call it a playhouse, but it's way more significant than that. Like my grown up friends want to come and hang out in the playhouse. Amazing. But it's, a, it's got a wine cellar, it's got a little. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's actually more like an A-frame shed. So it's like a 
big shed with a f- open front that's kind of on a platform and it's big enough to sit grown adults and uh so i built that and i've never built anything before so mm. those are all new things for me this year i actually did write some songs um i made a deal with my wife a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago if she would let me stay up late and write then when i did and and let me sleep late then i would get up and help out with the kids when i woke up so I was staying up to mm. two or three. I kind of have to because I can't write music while the kids are awake. Um, it's just too much going on. You're trying to have an emotional, you know, like expression, an emotional moment. Yeah. You can create something and you just hear the kids screaming or arguing. or There's and, other emotional moments happening. Yeah, in the room. exactly. So there's competition. It's really hard for me to focus. I kind of feel like the, the atmosphere writes a song for you a lot of times um you know uh where you are and what you're doing influences your writing and so if you're in a chaotic situation there's just nothing i got nothing to say out of those situations i need a place where i can kind of space out so i did that late at night i probably wrote about 20 25 songs and i don't know if they're all good but some of them are good so i'm, I'm recording um i've started recording a few of those and we'll see how far along we get early next year. And I love, I love that we're naturally just talking about songs because yeah, it's yeah. so. F- I, I should prepare more for podcasts than I do, <laughs> but it just naturally kind of goes where I want it to go, and yeah. I never intended it. And I, uh, I got to catch some of your thing. Um, you did these live sessions, and yep. I think they're called stable sessions, but I want to call them stable sessions. That's how it's spelled. Stable. Yeah. I'm not sure why they call it that, but um, it's a group out of the UK, and um, yes. they they had us over to do a live session at the end of last year, and we, yes. we, we did a whole tour around it, and then we finished with this sort of live stream. Basically, originally, they wanted to sell concert tickets to a single live stream, and I was like, well, this sounds cool. I don't really know how you're going to monetize this. I don't know how many people are going to sign up for this, and mm-hmm. we did it, and it was wonderful. And I just kept thinking, like, how are they going to make this work? I don't understand. The quality is super high. The gear is super great. The people are super awesome. And then yeah. the pandemic happened. It's like, oh, they're set up for success. Now yeah. they're doing stuff with, like, big country acts. And <clears throat> I think they did a, a big thing with Chris Tomlin recently or something. So they're doing, yeah. they're doing some really cool stuff. We ended up turning it into a live record because I didn't play any live shows this year. That was the last show I played was that show, November 23rd. 2019 is the last time I played music for human beings. Wow. Man, that's that's so weird to think about. Like, I mean, I, I'm blessed right now to be able to lead worship in church, and we are focused on our, our live, or not, we don't do a live stream. We've actually decided that we're going to broadcast our thing uh, a week later, because yeah, yeah. we want to sound good, look good, and I mean, not that that's the goal of it, but we... We for sure go. If people are gonna worship together in their living room, it <laughs> want to make sure it's it's like bearable. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was weird. Like my first couple of weeks leading worship, I'm like putting capos on on the wrong frets. I'm like forgetting that I'm tuned down half a step. Uh, do you feel like there's gonna be anything about live shows or playing music live that will be rusty to you when you get back? Oh, definitely. I mean, we'll we'll rehearse really well before we go out again, so it'll be good by the time we actually get there. But I was even thinking recently, 
some people wanted me to do some songs for, you know, film them and send them to their thing, you know, and I was like, I, I don't know how to play these. I'm going to have to spend all morning learning my songs because yeah, yeah. I haven't played these in over a year. So I was like, I don't think I have time to do all this because it's not just playing the song. I actually got to sit down and remember it. I got to right. remember the lyrics. And I mean, I could I could fake it, like just play it and it would be bad. And maybe people wouldn't notice, but like I want to like actually do a good job. Yeah. So, you know, not just stare at the lyrics and kind of, you know halfway was well, a different there's a difference between like singing it with lyrics and like singing it with conviction like yeah, it's why totally. i even if i have a prompter for like leading worship or whatever yeah. it's like i still want to know the lyrics does it feel the same to you like when you come back to songs do certain lyrics when you sing them again be like oh man i forgot like i love that lyric or that lyric hits hard or is there like a it takes you back to a moment sometimes yeah sometimes I, they're also because we do a lot of tour where I'll play the same songs every night. Right. And sometimes, even recently, I had this thing happen with a song where it's a song we played every night and I just didn't think about it. You, After a while, you feel the song. Yeah. And you feel it. You feel the emotion of the song and you forget the individual lyrics. You're just doing it, not thinking about the lyrics so much. And I had a song recently where I, I, I realize, which by the way, if anyone's listening, if you look up my lyrics online, they're probably wrong. Almost every website has them wrong. Someone was asking, I think someone was asking about this song and, you know, they're like, what does this mean? I was like, what are you talking about? I don't, I didn't say that. I was like, where'd you look it up? So I looked up the website and the lyrics were totally wrong. And so I had my, I, try, I had my manager try and contact the big sites because I don't know where they're pulling from. Some of them are more right than others. But but if you search it and it's the first thing that comes up and the lyrics are totally wrong, it's just so embarrassing. I realized the Christmas album was the same way. There's so many. But anyway, I started going back through these lyrics because he's like, all right, send me the correct lyrics and I'll go through and try and make sure it's all good. So I started writing Crazy. the lyrics. I started writing the lyrics down. I was like, oh my gosh, this song. I feel like I, I wrote it in 2014, 2015, and I'm just now understanding it today. Like, I feel mm. like if I wanted to write this song today, this is exactly the song I would write. I was like, I feel like I had no idea what I was writing at the time, but all of a sudden it makes sense. But yeah, so that happens sometimes. And then sometimes you're like, what in the world was I thinking when I wrote this? Is there, you know, I, was, I thought about it too, because like, um, you know, CCLI, I, mean, I know I'm speaking more to worship leaders here. Maybe that's sure. just because that's the yeah, season yeah. I'm in right now. But like, there's probably songs on there, there's lyrics on CCLI for that's like, I don't know if anyone's ever done this song on a Sunday morning context. <laughs> <laughs> Can you probably think of some of that? Like, I don't know, like maybe there's some churches that like are, you know, more hip to like doing whatever. But like, there's probably some songs that you've written them like, I can't picture leading that on a Sunday morning, but... Yeah. Well, most Maybe. of them really. Like and that's what's funny. Like 90% of my songs I would be surprised if someone sang with their church on Sunday. Yeah. But it's weird that I still get put in that, you know, um anthem worship category on Spotify. I was like I don't feel so like that's my I I you know, I write a few of those songs. I like them, but that's not like what I do most of the time. It's just it's sort of a part of what I do, but it's definitely not like what I do most of the time. Ninety percent of the time, I'm writing sort of existential songs or mm -hmm. figuring things out in music. Not really writing. I mean, I'm never really writing for like corporate church meetings ever. 
not not on purpose. It's just I get I'm just interested in other things. But it's Which, funny. I guess maybe you have a, a, just a couple of the songs were so successful that I guess people just assume when you're successful at something, that's what you want to do all the time, but it's not true. <laughs> well, that's why I think I find you to be such an interesting guy to talk to, is that um, it's so interesting how that is, how many in different spheres would view you um, or or know you for some of those songs. And it's like, if I hear what you're saying, it's like, man, I don't know, like those kind of were like, I don't want to say an accident, but it's like I didn't sit there and go, okay, the best song that the song I'm going to put all the effort into that I believe will touch the most people is going to be this one. Yeah. No, literally, it's the opposite. Literally, they're the easiest songs to write. And I wasn't really trying to write those types of songs when I wrote it. Hmm. I just kind of felt it. It's like, oh, this is how I feel. I probably. When I wrote How He Loves, I was leading worship a little more. I haven't like led worship in the traditional sense in probably five or six years. But yeah. I was actually more of a worship leader uh, when I wrote that. And so you kind of, once again, your surroundings sort of subconsciously speak to your to what you create. So if you're used to singing with a lot of people in that context, you would just kind of do that sometimes. So maybe that's kind of how it happened. I mean... I used to write worship songs. It wasn't like I was not trying to write worship songs. I don't know. Early on, I don't even know that I knew how to write a song. So I was just trying to write a song, you know, and four chords and <laughs> some lyrics. And and maybe it's yeah. more like this. Maybe I'll write a song, and then after the song is kind of done, the first draft, I'll say, what is this for? Mm. I'm like, okay, you could sing this in church, so maybe that's what it's for. I don't even really do that so much anymore. Now I just kind of write it and... It's really like, do I like it? Do I feel like I'm saying something important? But maybe I'll get back around to writing songs that you could sing in church. I really, I hope I don't sound like I'm against that or think that's bad. I no. You know, I, I think early on I, and maybe I should backtrack a little bit. I think early on I did want to write songs for that context, but kind of treat it like it was an art form in and of itself. Mm. Then I got more interested in the art form and less interested in sort of the function of the song. Because oftentimes the function detracts, I think, from the expression sometimes, if I'm being honest. Well, no, and I would agree with you. And, and I again, that's why I kind of find you're a fascinating guy to have this conversation with because, um, you know, we've had you on the podcast, so yeah, yeah. we don't need to go into the, the story of John Mark McMillan. But yeah, yeah. I, at the same time, I feel like we could do three more podcasts and still have <laughs> enough to talk about that would be interesting. Well, I'm 41, and, so I got a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of life if you want to hear about all of it. I would I would love to. Maybe we'll do a whole uh and maybe you know, I, I also feel like you would make a great podcast co host. So I might call you <laughs> upon that for some time. All right, all right. Um but you know, I was look at your Instagram. Yep. I feel like I'm about to be, do like a CNN style quote. Like, can you back up this statement for me, yes. please? Like I would love to. Um, you talked about how he loves says, I stand convicted. If I'm honest, there's a time in my life when I resented this song a little because I felt that it pigeonholed me to a genre that I that really didn't belong to me. Tell me, uh, unpack that for me a little yeah, bit. Because yeah. uh, I'm just going to be honest with our yeah, yeah. audience here. When you and I talked and texted about our first podcast, you're like, hey, don't really want to get into the <laughs> how he loves story. People can find it if they need it. I'm like, no, I respect that. I respect that you feel like that's a yeah, season, yeah. and you're in a new season now. Yeah. But 
now unintentionally revisited. So tell me a little bit about what's been going on in your heart there. Yep, totally. Well, I think I probably maybe repressed or suppressed some of the story because um, it was kind of painful and also a little bit difficult for people to believe. Um, so there's that. And recently I remembered some things that had happened. I'd found some journals and I started thinking about the timeline and I remembered some things I'd told some friends and I thought, this is really interesting. I've never really talked about this part of the song. Right. But, but so the other thing is that um, I think, and you know, like you you don't know what people think about you and maybe it doesn't matter what people think about you, but I feel like I run into some people who are like, they probably think, I think I'm awesome because I wrote that song. And the truth is, I don't even think that's my best song. Like, not even close, right? So, I'm really mm -hmm. excited and happy. I love that it blesses people, that it touches people. But sometimes I think people are like, oh, I'm sorry, you haven't written another one of those. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I, <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, I have an ego for sure, but it has nothing to do with that song or writing big worship songs. Like, my ego is in no way connected to that. So, yeah. sometimes I feel like I got to tell people, like, guys, you, I think you misunderstand me a little bit. I like worship. Uh, I enjoy it, but, like, my, my passion is not writing big church songs. But I feel like because that song was so successful, I get sort of categorized in that, you know, mm -hmm. in that genre. And I'm like, I think you guys misunderstand me. And even earlier... Early on at some of our shows, people, I could see the people who only knew that song and only came for that song and maybe only listen to Christian radio. And I was like, you guys don't know what you're getting yourself into tonight. And they well, would just Brooke, wait for that Brooke song. Brooke Leigertwood or Brooke Frazier tells the same story. People yelling yeah. out, Hosanna! I know. Out of like a pop gig. Totally. I know. And she used to get so mad too. So I felt like, okay, this is, I feel a little misrepresented. Um, by the song and then on top of it it's an old song like i wrote it almost 20 years ago so i don't live in that like my favorite song is the one i'm working on right now mm. and i think we've done a really good job over the past few years of creating a new um for most people who follow me i think now they understand that what we do is a little bit different than that but early on i think people thought i think we got miscategorized and it was frustrating and it, it felt like I felt like I was misleading people when yeah. they wanted to come and hear a bunch of worship covers. And I'm like, guys, like this is not at all what we do. You know? Um, so I, I think I resented the song a little bit for that. I mean, just to be honest, like most of my songs are not going to be on Christian radio. A lot. Yeah. Most of my songs are not going to be songs you sing on Sunday morning. They're very sort of God centric. Cause I've been obsessed with God since I was young. Yeah. So I felt like they're, they, I, I I wanted the songs to, I wanted to figure out where they were supposed to live. So mm -hmm. I tried for a while to do more quote unquote secular radio. And I had some, I had a lot of interest until they looked up and saw my worship videos and they were like, oh, we don't do this, man. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was really frustrating. So, you know, I've had this career where, I mean, I, I've almost no complaints like, we're doing great. Mm. We have people come to our shows. We connect with people. It's fun. And yeah, I don't have any regrets, but it has been challenging at times to feel like I'm too Christian for the secular audience, and I'm, but I'm not Christian enough for the Christian audience. Mm. And I felt like this song sometimes was both a blessing and a curse because it 
created a lot of momentum and it helped a lot of people, but also it sort of trapped me. And I'd felt that way and I'd resented it a little bit. But then when I was in the UK, I, I was telling stories and I was not going to tell this story. Like I did, I wrote the others down. I was not wow. going to tell the story. And it was just a beautiful night. Everyone was having such a good time. We were all really happy. Um, and it was the end of the tour. So it was kind of a celebration of the tour run and all our new friends that we'd spent the last week or two with. And, um, and I just told the story. I just did it. And I wasn't going to post it. And then I just, last minute, I just posted. I was like, hey, I don't know. I, I wasn't going to post this. But then I listened to it. I was like, this is pretty good, I think. And so I, I put it out there. And I was mm. blown away by the response um, f- for several reasons. But one is that I'd never thought about this before, is that I grew up, I think I've taken for granted the fact that I grew up with this idea that God cares about me. I think... I didn't realize, I've known this, but I'd never thought hard about it, that a lot of people grow up and they have a different view of God, right? Yeah. Like a judging God or a hateful, angry, vengeful God or... A non-relational one, even. Non-relational one, yeah. And um, I think I've taken that for granted because I struggle with my faith a lot, but at least the God that I'm struggling to believe in, you know, is a God who is defined by self-sacrificial love, right? right? And that's a huge thing. And I never never put two and two together until I made that post and I was old enough or mature enough to, to maybe put it all together. And I, I realized that some people have never even had that thought and they heard that song and that's the first time they even thought that could even be a thing. And now I was really mm. convicted. I was like, I've sort of taken this as a it's become a Christian cliche, you know, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. There's a guy who drives his bike around town yelling, Jesus loves you, you know, Jesus Amazing. saves. He's I think he's a sweet <laughs> guy. But you know, it just becomes a cliche. You stop hearing it after a while because you've heard it yeah. so much it means nothing after a while. Totally. But then I start reading the comments and realize this song introduced people to this idea. That the God of the universe, that the powers that led to our existence, that the fabric of reality is for you, Mm -hmm. and how believing that in even a small way could totally alter your life. And, And I felt proud. For the first time in a long, long time, I felt proud that I wrote that song. And I was proud that that song had become successful and that people heard that. And I thought, that was really, I, I really am happy that I wrote that and that I could have been the person to introduce people to that concept. Because there's probably nothing in the world that's more important than that idea, than, mm-hmm. than that reality or that sort of approach to life. Well, you know, I think, too, you think about the context of the song, you writing it, and then you think about even some of the delivery methods that took place yeah. of the song. Um, for me, I was I was kind of, we I was on a tour with a guy, and we were just, sitting there driving at 10 p.m. going, what are some five monumental things that you feel like changed faith-based Christian, quote-unquote, or even worship music? And I I came up with two. I said, Delirious's Cutting Edge, yeah, or even Live and in the Can, I would say was like significant. And the second one I said was Kim Walker-Smith singing How He Loves. Oh, wow. And 
the reason why I thought of that one was because it took a movement of a charismatic movement that you had experienced and had connection with, yeah. with the cry mm-hmm. and or sorry, the call. Yeah, the, yeah. The cry. The call the call. The call, the call, sorry. Um and then uh you know, what was happening with Jesus culture and Bethel and Reading and it took that and made it quote unquote mainstream. Yeah. And I feel like it made a way for these charismatic expressions of worship and um, ways of approaching spontaneous worship and writing to reach audiences that had never reached before. Yeah. And I totally. feel like it was really a pivot for that that movement. And um, is there is there something that you can look back and go, you've experienced something similar where you go, well, that moment in music was a pivot for that movement or that song or that record really made way for some of these things to happen and that impacted you. Yeah, sure. Well, I think I think probably the most influential person in worship music that most people have never heard of is Kevin Prosh. Are you familiar with Kevin Prosh at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a vineyard worship leader for a while. Mm-hmm. And so he was probably the the biggest influence on Martin Smith um, as a songwriter. I think Martin Smith was his guitar tech for a while. Um, if you talk to Joel Houston, if you talk to um, some of the guys our age, um, he, his Kevin would be like one of the most influential people that most people have never heard of. He mm-hmm. he He had some trouble... And I think before his career really blew up, he um, it it sort of got cut short. I think his career got cut short because of mm. some problems he had, maybe some choices he made. But um, he was really one of the first. Gosh, I hate this word, but I don't. You know, the word authentic. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if yeah. it means anything anymore. To be honest. But mm. but I mean maybe it means to maybe honesty. For me, when I heard Kevin, it was the first time in my life where I thought, oh, okay, uh, number one, worship is something I'm even interested in. Yeah, it's not mute, worship music can be relational with people and with God. It can be creative. It can be interesting. But also, he was one of the first people I heard that made me realize that worship music could be more than just a duty. It could be more than just a Mm. mission to execute, but it could be a place you wanted to be. It could be something you wanted to experience. It could be a place to rest, a place to kind of live, right? Where it's not just about, let's get to the end of the songs, save as many people as we can in three minutes. It was like, okay, this is a great place to be, so let's do it for 12 minutes. Let's do it for 14 minutes. I don't really do that kind of jam stuff anymore. But for me, it was great because it was like, this is a place to be. We're not rushing out of this because this is where we want to be. It's not mm. just something to accomplish. It's not just a box to check. We sang the fast one. We sang the slow one. Now we're going to sing two fast ones. Take up an offering. Pastor's going to make yeah. you feel good. We're all going home, and we've sort of done our duty. It was like worship was where you wanted to be. On Friday... As a teenager, I wanted to be at church because I thought something exciting was happening. I mean, the '90s were like that for me. Yeah, it was. There's just a lot of newness, yeah. a lot of a lot of groundbreaking happening as we were kind of coming out of um, the the hippie Jesus movement. Yeah, 
into sort of a refined, not refined, you know what I mean, but it was a new, something, something new was yeah, happening. Yeah, definitely. And it was kind of dangerous and kind of exciting and mysterious. It's something you wanted to dig into and figure out. That's, mm-hmm. Before that, church for me was something I wanted to like. I liked the people at church. I always liked being around people. But the church stuff, the church culture and activities was always so sort of overly functional. Everything was too educational. You know, and for me, it's like worship music isn't supposed to be educational music. Like the ABC song helped me learn my letters. But you don't (laughs) sing that at a wedding or a funeral or you don't sing it at a party. You don't sing it anywhere that it matters. And so for me, like worship music, you know, prior, not and, and, and once again, like... Obviously, there was a lot more going on than I was aware of, but before the ni- that part of the 90s, you know, the Kevin Prosh and Delirious, and then I grew up with the Morningstar stuff, like before that, mm-hmm. it's like worship music, Christian music was just educational music. It had no value outside of sort of the information it was attempting to convey. It's, it was just super surfacy. I was like, this is what we need you to know. So we're going to put it in a song and I'm uh, glad you know it now. And like, okay, yeah, now yeah. let's go on. It's like medicine. And this, this type of music was like food. It was, it was like a feast. It was like sitting at a table. It was to be enjoyed. It wasn't just, it wasn't like, you know, I, I don't know, the astronauts take food pills you know they have nutrients in it it's all function right it was like it was meant to be enjoyed it was meant to be shared right yeah yeah you know and that's kind of that that really changed for me and then the then the the jesus culture and the bethel and all that you know was heavily influenced by kevin prosh and what was happening at morningstar at the time so I don't know. I think that would definitely be big for me. There was a song called Praise the Lord, O My Soul. I don't even know if it's on Spotify, but you can definitely find it on YouTube. It's really Mm. long. I don't know, 12, 15 minutes. It's probably my favorite recorded worship moment in history. And who's that that by? Who should, like, is that that by by Kevin? It's by Kevin. But it was recorded at Morningstar, and you know how sometimes church people, not church people, that sounded wrong. It's not church people, but ministries a lot of times... Is like who's the artist? Is it the church? Is it the is the conference the artist? Is the singer yeah, yeah. the artist? Is the writer the artist? They don't know how to label it, so yep. I don't know. But praise the Lord, oh my soul! If it's a really long version of that, and starts out with a violin, it's probably that's probably it. But if you look, if you search Kevin Prosh, praise the Lord, oh my soul, on YouTube, you'll probably find it. You're also going to find a weird video from the '90s. <laughs> oh yes, I hope we find it. Like I yeah. hope. <laughs> But um, you mentioned Morningstar a couple yeah. times, and I've I've heard um, I've heard the McClures mention Morningstar, yeah, and um, another people mention them. So tell me a little bit about uh, about that and what that means to you. Yeah, well, that's where I grew up. My dad was one of the pastors there, so I actually went to a ministry school there for a while, and it was the worship there was different. I've never seen anything like it, um, and I don't know that it could even exist today, but. The worship was not about whether or not people sang the words to the songs. So some sometimes they would play instrumental songs and people would dance. Sometimes mm. it'd play, you know, kind of heavy music and have uh, you know, big guitars and one of the worship leaders played a sitar for a while and they would always try and find the weirdest instruments that they could to and figure out how to write worship songs with weird instruments. Um and it was it was really honestly just such an interesting culture because the people showed up knowing 
that um, we are trying stuff out. And and for me, that was where I became um, an artist, really. Like, I don't think that that would happen today anywhere. So mm. I could come and do a song knowing it was half done or knowing that it may or may not work. And the people showed up expecting as much because we're all part of this process together. And so I learned in real time how to write songs by playing them and like, okay, that didn't work. Then I'd sing it again and I'd redo the chorus before the end of the song. I'd change the lyrics mm. in the middle of the set you know, or write the lyrics in the middle of the set or yeah. sing a song, just make up a song on the spot. That was the 90s. You just make up a song on the, on the spot and people would sing it with you. <laughs> I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really exist anymore. Some of it, for a number of reasons, I think some of it is the the iPhone has killed a lot of creativity because, mm. you know, I used to know you're going to fall flat like <laughs> a certain percentage of the time. Yeah. And then people are ha- holding their phone out. You're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try anything new tonight. Cause, mm. you know, also too, I think we've, you know, you, you lead worship at different churches and people go, well, if they don't have the lyrics for it. How are they going to worship? <laughs> and I also think that as technology has become better, we've become more reliant on it. Yeah. And I even find myself in this in this place because yeah, you know, I'm not blessed to have three guitar players and two yeah. keys players and all stuff. So I rely on multi-track and then you know, well, like we can't do that because we don't have tracks for it. <sighs> and it's yeah. like I'm like, man, what am I thinking? Yeah. I know King David didn't have tracks. He figured it out. He figured it out. I think this is this would probably be my major... I mean, I'm nobody, but if I was somebody important, I would say something like this. I'd say, I think this is probably my major critique of Western Christianity, is mm. that we've decided that the lyric is the worship, and we've decided that the words are meaning. And words are never meaning. Words are only ever an attempt to articulate meaning. But meaning Mm. is what you feel in your body. Meaning is what you do with your life, right? Meaning, like the word on the tip of your tongue, you know what it means. You just haven't figured out the word yet. And so word is only ever an attempt to articulate it. And people argue over that all the time. Argue over the right words. And you have the word police. And are you saying it right? Are you saying it the right way are you yeah is there a better way to say that is is this the you know and so they turn sort of like christianity um which is a deeply beautiful and mysterious religion into an equation Mm. and i think we lose a lot of the magic for lack of a better term because we have turned it into a formula yeah yeah and so like there are principles right like with my relationship with my wife there are principles if I never take out the trash, if I never clean the bathroom, if I never do those basic things, our relationship is not going to be great. But those things are not the relationship. Mm-hmm. They're expressions. They're just expressions. They're really just, I'm trying to, more than anything, those are the things you want to do so that you can have a relationship. You get those things out of the way so that you can have a relationship, but you don't wake up thinking like, oh, it's such a beautiful day. I get to clean the bathroom today. <laughs> it's like, babe. I clean the bathroom. Don't you feel so honored? It's like, well, no, this is what you do because we're in a partnership together. We're in a relationship. So we do these things so that we can have the relationship. I feel like church, Western Christianity, I would say Western Christianity because it's the only Christianity I'm actually really familiar with. But yeah, Western Christianity, 
I feel like we do all of that kind of stuff and we forget the point sometimes. Like, say all the mm-hmm. right words and we have all the right formulas, we do all the formulas right and we forget, like, all this is really just stuff we do so that we can get it out of the way so that we actually can do the real thing. Well, the big debate that's happening right now in Canada is because, you know, there's a lot of people are saying, why why can't churches, you know, in the, we're in the COVID thing, so if yeah. you listen to this two years later, you're like, what what's the problem? I don't understand the problem. <laughs> there's this pandemic happening as we're talking. Yep. And um, people are saying, well, why can't you just go online? Why can't you just experience God in your house or in your living room? And I'm going, mm-hmm. well, you can. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but why do we celebrate anniversaries? Why do you take your wife out for dinner on an anniversary? It's you can show your love for her that way, but expressing in that way is something that helps you guys connect emotionally, but it's not the point. Yeah. It's the means to, and I, I really believe that worship music is not is not the point. It's the vehicle yeah. that for whatever reason our human brains can get into a space through music better than chanting or mm-hmm. in this culture dancing yeah can do and and it gets you into that place and maybe for other cultures it is painting or dancing or for maybe for some people it is reading theological books and statements really gets them in the presence of god but for most people music does that yeah well music art all these sort of expressions are really just sort of i guess you said vehicle is a good word you use the word vehicle they're vehicles yeah. for sort of experiencing or expressing reality mm. right like i have all these songs in my life thousands of songs in my life and i don't know that any song for instance changed my life but during life changes i took on these songs they sort of became give me one of them give me one of them okay so Gosh, when my wife and I were first falling in love, we would listen to David Gray's White Letter album, White Ladder album, a lot. I was listening to Damien Rice a lot. And so those songs are full of that meaning for me because those were the songs that helped me say the things I needed to say at that time in my life. Um, and so they became, those songs are part of the way I experienced that season with my wife. And even now we listen to those songs and you're kind of back in that space because those songs became part of the way you experience that reality. And so I think that's what songs do is they, um, they, because when you sing together, you, there's, there's things that actually happen in your brain where you feel more connected to people. I mean, there's really amazing studies. There's a couple of TED Talks about it. There's some mm-hmm. really cool papers written about it that were published in major magazines. But when you sing together, there are things chemically that happen in your body. And it releases, um, I guess, hormones or I don't know what they're called, right? But the chemicals released in your brain that make you feel um, the fellowship feelings and make you more open to other human beings when you sing together. And you'll notice that when you go to a concert or whatever. It's not just the alcohol, like it's actually the yeah. music. <laughs> well, I even thought about like live music. Like I would never listen to like I would never get in my car and go, I want to listen to Uptown Funk right now. Yeah. But when a cover band at a little pub starts playing it, I'm oh, like yeah. I know. This is a great tune. I'm in I'm in it. Or like when it's on the dance floor at a wedding, I'm like, I'm I'm there. Yeah. But yeah. otherwise it does nothing for me. But I realize it's it's the community aspect of yeah. it that triggered something. Exactly. Do you feel? Do you feel like the same is true? Um, 
for you? Like you talked about writing at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Yeah, and yeah. having that solitude. But how do you contrast that with writing in community or yeah. or expressing in community? Totally. Well, you're always writing in community in, in some way, shape, or form. C.S. Lewis says that um, sort of the the consummation of enjoying or loving a thing is sharing that thing. And you see this, yeah. like people naturally do this. A, a meme is not that funny unless you share it, you know, unless you retweet mm-hmm. it, right? Then it's funny. A joke is, you'll laugh. If you, you hear a joke, you know, you'll laugh, you'll chuckle. But when you tell it to your friends, you laugh way harder. Right. When you see a sunset on a late drive, if you're by yourself, you're like, man, I wish so-and-so was here to see this because this is incredible. You naturally want to share the things that weigh heavy on you, right? The mm-hmm. things that are like big to you, you, you're natural. I think every human being is like this. Naturally, you want to share it because sharing it is part of the process of having a relationship with that thing. Right. That's why, I mean, that's what a wedding is. That's what a funeral is. That's what, I mean, that's why we do all these things. That's what church is, right? Church meetings, like that. this is what we're doing. When you have a wedding, it's not about you and your wife. Like you could just go the justice of the peace, which some people do and that's fine. But generally, like the wedding isn't really about the people getting married. The wedding is about everyone else because you are saying like, I love this person so much. I want to show you how much I love her because um, sharing the thing is part of loving the thing, right? Well, to me, it's like, are you married are you married when the ring gets placed on the finger and the paper is signed? Or are you married when you decided to show up in the car that day? Yeah. And 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 you made the decision that no matter what happens today, we are getting married, or what happens this week, or what happens next month. But that's what I mean, that's what worship is, is something matters so much to me that I want to enjoy it along with everybody else. You know, like I need to enjoy it with everyone else. I need to enjoy it with the people I care about. And that's the hard thing about doing, quote, online church. Yeah, and during a pandemic when the world is crazy, when people are sick and dying and no one knows what to do, it's a good band-aid, but it's mm-hmm. not the real thing. If you can't be in the room and hear people and smell people and be forced to sing the song next to someone who is a little bit awkward and, you know, like you need to be forced to be with people who are different than you because that's what community is, right, is figuring out how you and they exist together in the same world and how you share what you care about with them and how, oh, Mm -hmm. it's the same and this is awesome. We're so different, but we're the same in this way and let's sing about it. It's great. You know, to me, that's what worship is. It's like you love God, right? And and so we want to celebrate that fact with other people because that's I'm let me just say this. I'm obsessed with God. So when I, I'm staying up late and I'm writing songs about God, even when I was an atheist for three or four months, I was obsessed with the God I didn't believe in, right? So it's like I'm obsessed with God and I write songs about God because I gotta share this obsession with other human beings because that's what I yeah. do. So even late at night, I always imagine somebody is hearing the song that I'm writing. Otherwise, I don't know how to write a song unless I imagine someone else is hearing it. And that's mm-hmm. how and we have a relationship that way. I write a song. I'm hoping you hear it. I'm hoping you feel the way I feel when you hear it. I'm imagining that happens. You hear the song. You may feel something totally different than I did when I was writing it, but it doesn't matter because you imagine I'm feeling what you feel when you hear it. And all of a sudden, over space and time, we like have a relationship. We have sympathetic feelings. You know, at the same time, it's beautiful. To me, that's what art and music does, and worship does that as much or more than anything else, or it should. 
Well, to me, I think the whole idea of online church or online, you know, concerts even, I go, I would be much more excited about watching a moment that took place with you, Mm -hmm. you performing, and like being able to have you reflect on it together and then reflecting with other people. Oh man, like... I love the way that sounds. Or I love the way he took that, and just I. And when you can't do that in person, um, trying to do that online is so tough, and and not it gets so political so quickly. So I'm like always so careful in my wording, <laughs> but it's like I understand more why people fight for either gathering together and you know wanting to gather and worship together because mm-hmm. they miss that connection. I understand yeah. that angst, and I don't think, uh, in the same way that, um, you know, sometimes when people come up to me and go, hey, what do you think about such and such moral or political issue? And I go, well, what's our baseline? What's our framework? Yeah. What What's our What's our starting point? Is it Bible? Is it government? Is it what? Yeah. And until we can agree on a starting point, we can't always agree on the outcome. And so I think for people who look and say, why do Christians need to be together, who have never experienced the communion and uniting factor of the Holy yeah, Spirit, yeah. it's hard for them to understand. It is. No, totally. It is. Or for people who have never performed. Yeah. To understand how difficult it is to perform for people you think might be behind that camera. <laughs> well, I can do it as a service, but it's not fun. It's, it's tough. Know, and I can enjoy it knowing that someone I don't see somewhere is enjoying it. But it's definitely like, I definitely thrive on looking at people's faces while I'm playing, while I'm singing. Because I always feel like we're doing it together. It's not yeah. me doing it for you. And if I'm just doing it for you, that's so boring. I hate those shows where I'm playing and people are sitting down. Even if they clap real loud at the end, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do it. I'll serve you. But mm-hmm. it's so much better when we're doing this together. Honestly, I think gathering is good for people's mental health. I, I feel like I agree. I wonder if we could study at the um, if we could do studies and and see how people's mental health has mm, deteriorated. You know, as a society, has our mental health deteriorated because we don't meet together? Because we don't do things together? We don't sing together? Well, I look at it this way, and maybe maybe this falls flat because maybe like you and Sarah are like not huggers, but I'm like, if I come meet you, my first initial thing is like, dude, it's so good to finally meet you. Yeah, yeah. And I want to give your beautiful wife a hug and say, it's so nice totally. to meet you. And now I'm just like, uh, I don't know what to do. <sighs> and so we have it's these awkward. awkward encounters now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder how that's going to affect us socially. I mean, that's another podcast, but. It is another podcast. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just ready to get through it. And I've had several friends who have had COVID, and some of them have had really bad cases of it. So yeah, I understand. I hate the virtue signaling, and I hate the politicis- politicization. Is that politicization? Politicizing. Politicization. Politicization. One of those words. But yeah. I hate that aspect of the whole thing. I miss yeah. meeting with people, and but with the people I know who have had the bad cases of COVID, I understand why people are hesitant to do it. I'm just ready to get, get through it. this year. I appreciate um, you coming on and talking. I know this is uh, this is hopefully going to be the second of many because you have a lot of insight on a lot of subjects. And I want to direct people right now to 
Am I saying it right? Stable Sessions? Yep. Stable Session. Stable Session Live is the name of the live album. Okay. And of course, they can find it if they go to any of the digital streaming platforms. Yeah, you can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube if you're really cheap. And um, the best thing I want to encourage people to do is I see you've got some vinyls and a sweet hoodie that says Juggernaut on it. Tell me a little bit about those. Yep. So... I love hoodies, and I've wanted to do one for a long time, and I liked the Juggernaut artwork for the... I can't remember the what we went with, or we had so many great uh, ideas for the singles and things, and um, so I converted that to the hoodie, and it's one of my favorite things. It's I probably spent too much on each individual item, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I just love the... I have that hoodie without any of the design on it. I wear it all the time. It's super comfortable. So we have the hoodie... The vinyl is um, only $18 right now. Amazing. um, So I don't know. We're probably not going to reprint that one once it's gone because it's kind of a special thing. So we've got it all up there for Christmas. And um, I may do another big vinyl sale soon. I don't know when this is going to release. but Well, man, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, We're going to give me a song. Give me a song off the live record that you want people to hear right now as we're closing this podcast. Uh, A song off the live record. Let's do Juggernaut. All right. This is Juggernaut right here on Overflow Beyond the Music. Josh McCabe, I'm your host. We had John Marker Camille and check it out. Thanks for checking out today's episode of Overflow Beyond the Music. For past episodes and more information about Overflow Ministries Group, visit overflowbtm.com.